The Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book Four, Susan's Bridge. Chapter Nine, Practice and Purpose. Susan scanned the ground for a fallen branch that was as big around as Owen's throwing stick. She found one and broke off the extraneous twigs. A forked maple provided the leverage to break the branch to the right length. Activity, something to do, was a welcome diversion. She patted the jagged-ended stick across her gloved palm, as someone might judge a baseball bat. That feels like it would work. She looked around for a suitable spot to practice. An old tree stump near the corner of the garden looked like a good target. It was a bit big to represent a crow or a squirrel, but she figured it would be better to start with a bigger target. She paced off a distance similar to what she saw Owen use. Felt very far from the stump. Her first throw fell far short. The next sailed off to the right and still short. With each successive throw, the stick landed somewhat closer to the stump. Finally, the stick smacked squarely across the stump. Susan jumped into the air, fists held high, but her triumph collapsed. Her stick had shattered into several pieces. As she examined the fragments, she wondered if she had chosen too hard of a target. Crows were softer than stumps, after all. She pried at the fragments with her fingers. It broke apart in her hand. This wood is too old and rotten, she thought. It needs to be something greener, stronger. She zigzagged through the woods, studying the saplings of the understory. One young oak was the right diameter and fairly straight. I'll need my big knife for this. Back at the cabin, she closed her eyes and held her breath. That helped her get through the cabin door. She pulled the heavier fixed blade from her backpack. She always thought it was too clumsy to wear all the time like everyone else seemed to. She clipped the sheath to her belt. Back at the young oak, she used a section of windfall branch as her baton to chop down the small tree. Batoning against her target tree stump, she cut off the top. She liked the heft of her new stick better than the first. It felt heavier and more solid. She swung it hard against the tree stump to see if it would break. The shock of the blow made her hand sting. Ow! Okay, I guess it won't break. Owen's hunting stick had no bark. The young oak's bark didn't come off easily. The bark was smooth, so she figured it could stay for the time being. She whittled the ends to be more rounded. She had no idea if it mattered, but Owen's had rounded ends. Hers would, too. It took more throws to get used to the heavier stick. Too far left, then too far right. She seemed to be able to throw the stick just about anywhere but the stump. If you'd stop moving around so much, she muttered at the stump, this would be a lot easier. A glancing ricochet felt like bowling a strike. She had more wrist action on that throw, so she tried to repeat the move. More blows landed on target. Her arm was getting tired, but her spirits were high. She imagined herself hunting in the backwoods behind the Simmons's house. That Mara woman would just have to find some place else to hunt. Those would be her woods. She imagined herself stalking elusive squirrels, 
She would smack them and bring home some special chicken for everyone. Squirrels, she thought. They were smaller than her target stump and usually clung to a tree, a vertical target. The sideways rotating stick would probably get caught up in other branches between her and her prey. She set her baton on a low tree branch and practiced throwing overhand so the stick spun in a vertical plane. It was like starting all over. She couldn't even hit the tree, let alone the baton. With each failed throw, she would retrieve her stick from the woods, frown at the ground, and march back to her throwing spot. I have got to be able to master a dumb stick. I am not going to be useless. Eventually, she could hit the tree with the stick, which would dislodge the baton. It felt like progress, nevertheless. After another hour of throwing her stick, she was able to knock the baton out of the tree. She reeled back for another throw, eyes squinting like a baseball pitcher on the mound. I will be the provider of... She threw, the stick sailed out, picking the baton off the branch without disturbing the tree. Special chicken! She shouted. She clamped her hands over her mouth. Shouting was a dangerous thing for people hiding from the authorities. She looked around. Of course, there was no one nearby, but a shout could carry for a mile. Her elation bubbled back to the surface. She picked off the baton three more times in a row, just to make sure it wasn't a fluke. Silent fist pumps and rapid victory stomps were as exuberant as she dared to be. I won't even tell him what it is, either, she chuckled to herself. Martin will clean it, and I'll swear him to secrecy, too. Don't ask questions, she pretended to tell others around an imaginary dinner table. Just eat your supper. The sky was overcast, but she could tell that the afternoon was growing old. Everyone would need to be indoors soon. She tied up her tarp and blanket into a neat roll that she could sling over her shoulder. Walking back toward the cabin, she practiced walking as quietly and stealthily as she could. Being a good shot wasn't much help if noisy feet scared away all of the special chickens. While pausing to decide where to put her foot next, she heard something hard clatter to the forest floor. She guessed it was fifteen yards to her right and down the slope. She studied the woods in that direction without moving, other than to slowly pull her hood and cap off of her ears. Another piece of something fell into the leaf litter with a muffled crash. She studied the trees and the direction of the sound. A twitch of a tail gave it away. A gray squirrel sat on a low branch, chewing at something in its paws. Live target practice, she thought. Carefully, she made her way to the left so as to screen her approach with the trunk of a tree. Once she was within throwing range, she began moving sideways, one video frame at a time. Her arm was cocked over her shoulder. Her fingers fidgeted around the stick for a better grip. She moved slowly. The squirrel was intent upon his acorn. Every muscle was tense, from her jaw to her toes. Slowly, she reeled back. She threw. The stick spun toward the tree. It smacked against the tree trunk, several inches to the left of the squirrel. It twitched, chattered, and ran up the back side of the tree. Susan stomped and grumbled as she retrieved her stick. Not close enough. At the base of the tree, 
she heard scratching sounds above her. A quick scan of the branches overhead showed no fleeing squirrels. So you're still up there. She backed away from the tree for a better view. She made a full circle around the tree but saw nothing. A faint scratching sound told her that the squirrel was still there. It was just moving around to keep the tree between it and her. I don't have time for this game, she muttered to herself. It's going to be getting dark soon. Her eyes darted from the squirrel's tree to the surrounding saplings. She had an idea. She unfurled her drone tarp and draped it between two saplings to create a curtain that she could hide behind. Several long minutes passed. Neither Susan nor the squirrel moved. He can wait for evening, but I can't. Maybe he needs something else to hide from she thought. A piece of deadfall, just within reach, seemed like a good diversion. She reached slowly so as to make no noise. She hurled the branch to her left. It clattered noisily against the other young trees. Susan hoped that it would be enough. She cocked her arm with the stick behind her and waited behind her curtain. The squirrel shimmied around the tree trunk, casting wary eyes around the tree in the direction where the branch had landed. The squirrel was higher than Susan imagined it would be. She waited. He was still too high, and a sapling branch was in the way. The squirrel continued to peek around the tree and scoot lower. He was working on his exit. The anticipation gnawed at her. Her arm felt heavy. The squirrel backed down another foot or so. Her eye locked in tunnel vision on the squirrel. She flung the stick. The squirrel moved slightly. The stick hit where the squirrel had been, but the ricochet still knocked the squirrel off the tree. Susan stood upright, arms in the air. I hit it! The squirrel fell to the ground. It bounced once and lay motionless. Ha! Will you look at that? No one in camp is going to believe! The squirrel was stunned, but recovered. He shook his head and legs, spun around, and bounded off. Susan stared in disbelief. Oh! That's why Owen ran over to the crows. Now she had no proof of her success. It would just be another tall tale by a failed hunter. She let out a deflating sigh. The sky was getting dimmer. She needed to head back inside before drone time. During the walk back to camp, her spirits rose. She might not have any proof to show anyone, but she knew she did it. Next time, she would step on its head. She decided she could tell Justine. She would believe her. Susan wondered if Justine and the others had the bridge fixed enough. The fitting of extra beams and rigging cables seemed like an endless task. She wanted to stay optimistic. The trucks would arrive, follow the trail, and across her bridge. One of those trucks would pull into Cheshire, perhaps in front of Town Hall. She could imagine the people cheering. She would be there to see it. They would have enough food to last until spring. I wonder what's going to be in those trucks, she muttered to herself. If a truck to Cheshire was full of bottled water and snake bite kits, they'd be no better off than they were before. What if the truck traveled through Nutfield? It could get hijacked and its entire cargo devoured by a greedy rabble. Nothing would get to Cheshire. She resolved to go to the staging area herself and make sure there was a truck specifically for Cheshire, and that it carried the right things. Susan strode with purpose. The trucks were supposed to be gathering at the dairy farm tomorrow. 
She would insist to Xavier, or Charon, or whoever was in charge of such things, that she be allowed to supervise the loading of a Cheshire truck. She would ride that truck back, confident that it contained the things people needed. Beyond the truck's contents, she would return with a useful skill. She patted her new hunting stick in her palm. She could put special chicken on the Simmons' table. She stopped at the corner of the girl's cabin. She would have to go underground to tell them what she planned to do. She clung to the cabin's porch post. It would be dark under there, and the walls so close. She thought she had turned the page and was done being broken. Perhaps they could come up and talk to her. No, she decided that she had to beat her fear of closed spaces. She planned to load semi-trailers in a dark barn and ride in a truck cab, after all. Those were closed spaces. She glanced at the pump house. The thought of traveling through the tunnel sent a shiver across her shoulders. Even if she went down the girl's cabin ladder, she would have to take the tunnel to the lodge. Wait, the lodge had a ladder, too. She recalled seeing a ladder in the corner, near Emily's kitchen. It was used as a drying rack for dish towels, but would a ladder really make a difference? She couldn't make it down the ladder of the girl's cabin. Would the lodge's ladder be any different? Yes, because it has to, she answered herself. The back door of the lodge was unlocked. Susan swung it wide open. She stared into the dark interior with a knit brow. The dark rooms still looked wrong. She wasn't going to close her eyes this time. After a few quick breaths, she pushed herself through the open door. So far? So good. Now, where would that ladder come up? The appropriate corner of the lodge was a storage room with one small window. Empty shelf units lined the walls. They would be too heavy and awkward to move. In a gap between two shelf units sat an empty wooden crate. That looks about right, she thought. Lifting off the crate revealed seams in the floorboards. There was no handle. She had to use her big knife to pry up the trap door. Hello down there, she called down the hole. It's just me, uh, Susan. I'm not an intruder or anything. There was no answer. I'm coming down. Could everyone still be down at the bridge? It would be drone time very soon. Were all those people trying to hide outside? They would be taking an awful chance. She decided she would wait for them in the lodge. The warmth of the wood stove was a perk she had almost forgotten. First one foot, then another, went through the hole. She took several deep breaths and then held it. This time, she closed her eyes. Down the rungs, she moved quickly. Her mind tried to be blank. Five, six, seven, floor. So far, so good. Think about the wood stove, not the walls. Welcome back, said a deep voice. Susan spun around. It looked like everyone was there, seated at the long tables. Some smiled, like Justine, Kayla, and Owen. Others looked worried, like a mental patient had just boarded their bus. Byron stood in the middle. I'm really happy you decided to join us. Um, yeah? Why didn't anyone answer when I called? I, I could have been an intruder. Byron dismissed her concern with a wave. Nah, Chapel has been watching you. 
reported your movements. We knew it was you. And I am so excited that you came, said Justine. Her body language said that she wanted to run up and hug Susan, but she kept a discreet distance. You came all the way down. Yeah, I did, said Susan. It felt like a victory over her fears, not as complete of a victory as she'd hoped. Her eyes darted around, sizing up the room. Maybe sitting in the middle near the lights will help, offered Byron. Several people slid down the benches to make room for Susan, plus a buffer zone. Maybe? Susan wasn't sure, but she decided to see if she could handle it. Uh, but I came down because I had an idea. She felt much better talking about her idea than thinking about the huge wooden building above her. I want to go to the staging area tomorrow and help with loading of the trucks. Really? said Byron. That is excellent news, right, Xavier? Xavier frowned, but reluctantly nodded. I want to make sure there's a truck loaded with things for Cheshire. Susan sat on the bench hesitantly. The many LED lanterns in the center did seem to help. Some trucks have already arrived, said Sharon. They've been unloading their cargoes into the barns. All the trucks will get redistributed loads. The rest of the trucks are en route tonight. Justine leaned in. And I think the bridge, your bridge, will be ready. We have to leave all the new steel in place this time. But we painted the new stuff brown, added Owen, hoping anyone looking at the bridge tomorrow won't see anything that looks new. Emily approached with a plate in one hand. Everyone else has had their supper, but I saved this for you. Byron said you might be coming by. Susan smiled. She was quite hungry. The little pile of rice looked restaurant fancy, with its speckles of reconstituted green bean and red bell pepper bits. Atop the rice were small chunks of gray-brown meat. She knew better than to ask. It was probably crow. Nonetheless, she devoured the meal in less than half a minute. The pepper overpowered all the other flavors, so she still didn't know what crow tasted like. A warm meal was a blessing. And I've got something for you, said Byron. He had been away from the table while she ate. He had one arm behind his back. When Susan tried to peek around to see what he held, he brought his arm around. Ta-da! Byron said. Byron held out the ugly rifle that Xavier had given her. The stock had a tan leather saddle laced to the top. A raccoon tail and a long black feather hung from the front of the stock. I took the liberty to decorate your rifle, Indian style. My rifle? Well, everyone should have a rifle. He leaned in so the others wouldn't overhear. The guys don't like it because it isn't cool enough, but it can get the job done. We had it as an extra. He straightened up and spoke normally. Figured you earned it. The decoration is kind of a memento of your vision quest up on the hill. When young Indians came back to their villages after their meditation, they would claim an animal totem for themselves. Well, there's nothing really to totems, of course. But in your case, it seemed fitting for yours to be the raccoon. Is that from the... Susan pointed at the tail. Yep, Byron beamed and nodded. The one you helped skin. There's nothing magical about animals. Don't get me started on animism. 
but I thought it would be a good reminder of what you can do when you have to. Well, thanks, Susan took the rifle in her hands. You were right about spending some time up on the hill. I feel like my mind is so much clearer. Um, yeah, Byron hesitated. That's great, but uh, don't be too disappointed if it still takes a while. Oh, and uh, I added the crow feather as, as a reminder for any tough times ahead. From what Chapel told me, you had an encounter with the Great Spirit. He sent you a crow. How did you know about it? <laughs> hey, well, Chapel sees all. It's the best spot for a lookout. Owen chimed in. He said you got a squirrel with your hunting stick. Hell, way to go. He said you let him go, though. Just sport hunting, huh? Um, <laughs> yeah, Susan offered a small grin. Susan looked over the ugly rifle, her ugly rifle. She supposed that the leather and the fur were to make it more beautiful, but she still couldn't understand how that worked. Uh, thanks, she said. Of course, you'll have to take the leather cheek rest off every time you need to split the stock, but it has these little ties here at the bottom. Emily swatted her husband's hands away. She can figure it out, she muttered under her breath. Uh, I don't know what to say. Susan looked around at all the smiling faces. Then I'll say it, said Xavier. Everyone go to bed. We don't know that we're out of the woods yet. We got a long day ahead of us, and this will be the last night of working on that bridge. The trucks have to roll tomorrow night. Night watches, you come and see me for your assignments. A wave of clatter, scrapes, shuffles, and murmurs arose as everyone got up to go to their bunks or chores. The room swirled with people. Xavier smacked his hand down on the table and slid it toward Susan. Since you are back in action, you should have these. He lifted his hand like a cat's paw to reveal a small pile of bullets for her revolver. Susan wanted to thank him for his stoic vote of confidence, but he was gone amid the bustle. As she pocketed her new bullets, she stared at the tunnel to the girl's cabin. It still looked like the throat of a giant beast. She could feel her throat tighten. Um, I don't think I'll be able to... Byron sighed. Ah, like I said, it can take a while. Yes, you can sleep in the cabin again. Just be careful. You know what to do. Over the week between Christmas and New Year's, I've been listening to some other post-apocalyptic fiction audiobooks, mostly to use up my Audible credits, but also to see, uh, or hear, what other authors in this space were doing. You know, what is the mainstream market selling? What might I change about Book 6 to appeal more to the mainstream audience? I've listened to about three and a half books so far, and what I'd noticed is that just about every chapter had the good guy characters shooting one or more bad guy characters. There was a lot of shooting. Then, when I was pre-reading Chapter 9 before starting narration, I thought, sakes, what a tame chapter. Nobody gets shot. No fights. No explosions. Definitely not mainstream. Of course, I knew that when I wrote it. Chapter 9 is a sort of personal turning point for Susan. She was starting to take charge of her life rather than always responding to things. She isn't suddenly Xena the warrior princess or anything. 
but turning a personal corner is pretty quiet stuff compared to the mainstream chapters with another terribly evil bad guy biting the dust. Susan did stun a squirrel with her hunting stick. Uh, I guess that's something, right? Well, gun enthusiasts may have noticed that I didn't describe Susan's rifle very much, other than the decorations that Myron added. Or, really, I didn't describe any of the guns in the Siege series. And that's also by design. Too much detail, particularly peripheral details, tends to bog down the story. I kind of chuckled, listening to one of the mainstream audiobooks, when the author said, Buck drew out his Colt 45 ACP with blued steel slide and frame with checkered walnut grips. Why did I need to know all that? The bad guy could have run away by the time the author finished describing the gun. I can like me some fancy firearms as much as the next guy, but for the story, Buck drew out his pistol. It was the same thing. So, if you happen to be a gun enthusiast and wondered why I don't describe the firearms in detail, that's why. The story is about the people, not the guns. I hope you all had a happy and safe New Year's celebration. I'd like to give a shout-out to Kirk, the newest Siege Club member at Buy Me a Coffee, and a shout-out to Anne, Jack, and KR99 for supporting this podcast by buying me some coffees. Thank you. <laughs>